First Timothy four six. Sorry, four seven. You're good. Four seven. Four seven. Have nothing to do with irrelevant, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Now, I love this passage. Have nothing to do with irreverent, irrelevant, irreverent, silly myths, but train yourself for godliness. While bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. How many things in your life do you give attention to that are irreverent or irrelevant? I'm going to put them on the same pedestal. Irreverent is certainly one thing. But how about also the irrelevant? What do we give our attention to? What do we keep trying to fix? What do we keep trying to run to? What do we keep trying to... Right now, I have to go through my to-do list because I'm overwhelming myself by trying to just do everything in one day. And it's driving me back to the list. Barely put my cell phone down trying to get, oh, I didn't get that done again today. It'll get done. In due time. Right? And the passage simply just moves forward. And I love Paul's wording. Right? It certainly exercise is good. Certainly eating well is good. Certainly health is, is, is good. But godliness is of value in every way. In every way. And, and he doesn't speak about... He doesn't speak about death here. Right? He doesn't say, listen, godliness is of value... Here in this life, but also in death. Also when you die, right? Also in the afterlife, right? This is all the nonsense that, we, that I hear. He simply says, in this life and the life to come. See, I actually believe it's, it's it, life doesn't get segregated. It doesn't get, get broken down. Life is life. And we simply move... As followers of Jesus, we move from this one into the fulfilling one that he has for us. Whether that, whether that happens through the door of death in this life, or, or whether it happens Jesus coming back to return. When our lives are in Christ, we never leave goodness, and goodness never leaves us. There's no, there's, there's no fear of, of purgatory or roaming or, or, or you have to somehow make up for your mistakes. Jesus covered it. And what he's covered in eternity flows into our presence now. Right now. If we can observe it. So I want to get into this song. Song. How great thou art. So this song, How Great Thou Art, I want you to know, has a very profound and um, long and confusing history. I said to Justin, he would love it. Me, I'm just going to read you a couple things. I try to memorize it, but it's not deeply important to me, so it's just not staying in, in my long-term memory. So I'm going to read you a couple things. For those of you who want to go research it, bless you. For those of you who want to go research it, there's some really, really... It's a really, really exciting story. 
But for me, I chose how great thou art, unknowing of the history. I chose it because I grew up in a church. There, there was this gentleman named Charlie Peterson. Charlie Peterson was a, a, a rather jolly, uh, slightly rotund fella who, when I was just a kid, he would do a special music at our church. Special music used to be a little bit different than, than the way we do it here with Dave. We would actually schedule it and plan it and, you know, months out and people would come sing a song and that would kind of be our special music, right? Now we just come and share and if someone has a song to sing, they sing it. So Charlie Peterson, over, over 18 years of my life being raised in this church, Charlie Peterson would have special music four or five times a year. And Charlie would always sing How Great Thou Art. In the same key, the same song, the same tempo for 18 years of my life. Little did I know, 40 years later, I'd look back and be extraordinarily thankful. Even after I chose this song to share with you, um, without, even, without discussion, Right, um, it's the song that they sang at my father-in-law's funeral. Now, how great thou art! I'm going to try to tie all this together. Now, how how great thou art! I want you to know is actually has only been actually accepted. I'm going to look at some of you who are older. How great thou art! We didn't even start singing until in some of your lifetimes. So when we look at hymns, we think, oh, you know, these are, this is so old, this goes so far back. So listen, uh, a little bit of history here. How Great Thou Art actually began, it was written by a gentleman named uh, Carl Boberg. He was a Swedish fellow who, who walking home uh, one day after church, a, a thunderstorm arose. And when getting home in the midst of this thunderstorm, the story says he opened up the windows, you know, and, and looked out and heard a... a, a Music, music being played in the distance, and he sat down and he wrote this poem. This is in 1885. And he writes this poem, and, and slowly over time, now I want you to know, what he wrote is a poem called O Store God, which literally translated means O Great God. But I want to read this to you, because this is extraordinarily different than what we sing when we sing um, How Great Thou Art. Here's the words, O Store God, O Great God. O great God, when I behold the world which you have created with your omnipotent word, how where your wisdom guides the threads of life and the beings are fed at your table, then the soul bursts into praises, O great God, O great God. Then the soul bursts into praises, O great God, O great God. When the summer wind whispers over the fields, when flowers are fragrant at the edge of spring, when thrushes trill in the green tents, at the silent, dim edge of the pine forest, when I see the wonders in the Bible, as the Lord has done since the time of first Adam, how gracious he has been at all times, and helped his people out of life's sin and strife. When finally all the sheaths of time fall, in outlook my faith changes, and the bright bells of eternity are cold. My saved spirit to its Sabbath rest. Then the soul bursts into praises. Thank you, great God. Thank you, great God. Then the soul bursts into praises. Thank you, great God. Thank you, great God. 
That's extraordinarily different. All right. That's like a, in a completely different song than How Great Thou Art. So here's what happened. I'm going to try to paraphrase this for you. You can go back if you want some links. I'd be happy to share this with you. He writes this song. And it doesn't take too long, but m many years pass. And, and his song uh, locally is picked up uh, by, by um, a friend who loves the words. And basically in the underground church uh, during this time in Sweden, um, they put his lyrics to a Swedish folk tune. Now, in our modern culture, I want you to know there's been a lot of, some of you have lived through it. Some of you have been healed by it. Right When all these modern courses came out, there was so much disarray. How could we be singing these songs? How could we give up you know, all these great hymns? You know, these hymns were, were anointed by God. Right? And now we're giving them up for, these, for, these, for these, these, these tunes. Many, many of the hymns were just partnered with local pub songs. Local folk tunes, just so you know. So what's happening again happened once before. So even when we sing How Great Thou Art, I want you to know at one point in time, someone was very, very angry about it. But in the underground church, this poem began <coughs> to fill their hearts with truth as they sung it in worship to God. And so this is in 1885. Fast forward now. It's actually going to be another, oh my word, 55 years before it ends up being penned in the version that we now know. What happens is this folk song moves from Sweden to across the, across the, 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 the uh, country lines to Germany, where someone in German translates it into German. And then it crosses the lines again from German to Russian, where it gets translated again. Have you ever played the telephone, this old telephone game? If you don't know what it is, we could like line up in this room, and then I could whisper something to Erin, and then she'll whisper and whisper. By the whisper time it gets, the what'd you say? Whisper down the lane. Yeah, whisper down the lane. And then by the time it gets to, to our good friend Lisa, it's like totally different message. Right? And everyone laughs because it just kind of changes along the way. So it jumps from Swedish to German, German to Russian, in, in someone then translates it to, oh yeah, so then it goes to um, this individual named Stuart Hine, who translates it from Russian to English. He likes it so much that he actually adds his own two stanzas, right? So there's actually nine stanzas at first. He cuts some of it out. He only keeps a couple. He keeps only, only a couple of what he learns, and then he adds stanzas three and four himself. This is in 1930. No one here is singing it. No one here has even heard of it in 1930. The English version ends up in India, where a British theologian and pastor hears it and takes it home, takes it to America, where he uses it at a local college campus in one of his evangelistic events. In 19, in the 1940s. Now I'm going to get, oh, wait, there it is. 19, 1940s, late 1940s. Oh, sorry, uh, 1954. We're in 1954 by the time he brings it to America. And here in America, at this college event, 
there is um, the children of Tim, Tim Spencer, who I didn't get a chance to look up, who he knows, but he's a cowboy, and, and his children have this group, which some of you may remember, called Sons of the Pioneers. One of my dad's favorites, no way. And here's the Sons of the Pioneers the singing this song. They did it first. Now this is not live video, just so you know. <laughs> yes, correct. Thanks, Lisa. This is the first American version, Sons of the Pioneers. No. In the background. Of course I don't. Who? Ken Curtis. Ken Curtis. Festus. Yeah. I don't know who that is. Did you ever watch Yes. Festus. So, where this goes from here? From there, these individuals, they actually own, um, so there's the Spencers, Tim Spencers, they own Mana Music. So they basically copyright this song. Right, and it begins, well, I'm sorry, but it begins to make money. Right, not to dampen you. Gods can certainly still continue to use it, but they copyright it. From there, from there, um, it gets moved to, who used it? Oh, it gets used, it gets uh, moved to George Beverly Shea. George Beverly Shea loved this so much that he used it, um, he introduced it to... Take a guess. Oh, Billy Graham. Graham. I said Billy Graham Crusades. I mean, they exactly. So it, goes, so it goes to Billy Graham, and in a very brief, short amount of time, it spread to millions. Mm-hmm. Right? Now, this is only in the 1950s. Let's jump. That, now, this is among Christians, right? So I want you to know how great thou art is the second most popular known hymn in the world. Second to, thank you very much. This is like playing Jeopardy. <laughs> very, very good. Shout it out. But it's not done yet. Right? It's not done because it's not just popular among Christians. This is known throughout the world. How did this happen? It comes along to a gentleman, which some of you may recall, may remember, right? Who, who actually gets nominated for, I believe it's, 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 it's Emmys, the music. He gets nominated for two Emmys for singing this twice. Go ahead, Lisa. Grammys? Grammys. Thank you, Grammys. Elvis. Yep, sure. Elvis sings it in 1967, and then they say again in 1974 in a slightly loose version. From here, it continues to grow. Now, for those of us who are in the, in the Christian community, we've known this song now for a long time, right? But this is still in the 1960s. In the research, some say, some say that it actually didn't actually fully reach culture until 2011. What? 2011, through this voice here. <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Carrie Underwood, 2011. But understand, if you're if you're not in Christian circles, you won't be aware. So it takes the it takes the, the likes of Carrie Underwood to introduce it to the world. Thanks, Lisa. And as you hear, the words are a little bit different, so I want to read them to you. And by the way, um, Sarah, thank you so much for singing the song. It's kind of like, how did you know? How did you know that we were discussing this? Yeah. Now these words are extraordinarily different. I want to read them to you. Oh Lord, my God, when I in, when I in awesome wonder. Consider all the worlds thy hands have made. The worlds. Sorry? So this is Stuart Hine, 1930. Right, right, right. Okay. Does that answer your question? I thought you said they changed. Okay. Stuart Hine, Stuart Hine's version from 1930 is what we have today. Right, yeah. But stanza three and four, he added. Yeah. And everything else from from uh, Boberg, the original. I believe, if you have an old hymnal, they used to be positioned together, uh, back to back. But um, there's very little observation or comparison for them to be seen. So, O Lord my God, when I, when I in awesome wonder, consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. When through the woods and forest glades I wander... And hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees when I look down from your lofty mountain grandeur and see the brook and feel the gentle breeze. So these first two stanzas would have been from a translation of the translation of the translation. And then he adds, and, and, and when you understand the whole story and Billy, Billy Graham and, 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 and Hine was, was an evangelist by nature, why he added the last two. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in, which is very, very similar to what we heard Justin read last week in, in, in his hymn, right? This is too big for me to, to comprehend. Send him to die, I scarce can take it in, that on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. And when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart? Then I shall bow in humble adoration and then proclaim, my God, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Almighty God, Almighty God. So this led me to a passage. So I titled, when I was reading these hymns and bringing them to you, I was just filled with this, this, this concept of awe and majesty. Awe and majesty. It's very easy to sing this song the very same way that we live our lives. Giving focus to the words but not its message. Being focused to what is written but not actually singing it with our soul. What Boberg wrote so many years ago I believe was in response. What we have written and passed down and translated and passed through generation and generation is not, it's not the words. It's the testimony of the living God yeah. who changes lives, 
who tells us that we can change, who tells us that he died for us to actually step into understanding and living the life that we were designed to live now. And it will bring it in fruition by the blood of Jesus. He will complete it. He will bring it into fruition. He is going to make good on all of his promises. And all of his promises he's going to make good. So as these words are written, I want to focus on the awe of God. See, because when he writes this, he begins with where Boberg begins, and begins where most of us begin when we tell the story. He begins in nature, begins in Genesis 1. He begins in the Garden of Eden, and, and, and many of you, we've talked about this repeatedly, the glory of God in his creation will, can still your breath. If you can see it, the power of a sunrise, the, 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 the power of a thunderstorm, the wind that moves, the, the crashing waves. If you are astute to the awe of God, you'll be in awe. But in our human nature, you will walk past the awe of God daily and miss it. We're always looking for the new. We're always waiting for that new thing, that new glittery object. We're always, we're always trying to retain, and this is the brokenness of the human soul. Our ability to hold the awe of God is like trying to carry water with buckets with has holes in it. It just pours out. It just flows out. So it's always like we're always kind of looking for that new thing, or we. How often have you wow. seen, how often have you seen the sunrise, the sunset, and in your spirit, you're either too busy, or even in your own humanity, you're just like, ho-hum. I've seen that a million times. I want you to know, I can't make that happen. You know what awe is? I didn't look this up in the dictionary, but do you know what awe is? It's being overwhelmed and surprised at the things that you can't do. Whoa. I'm in awe of Dave's writing. I'm in awe of Kate's personality. I'm in awe of Sarah's music. I'm in awe of Zachariah's intellect and, and, and humor and insights. The way his mind works. Awe is simply being taken aghast at the things that you can't do. I can't make the sun rise and set. I can't make the oceans move and crash. I can't keep the earth on its axis. I cannot control the weather. And yet, in the stillness of these wondrous creations, we will turn the moment and say in our soul, ho-hum. Some pastor you are, you can't even make the sunrise? We, we lose... The awe of God. So here's my encouragement to you. How do you retain the awe of God? It's take, it's, my answer is this. To take place in being the awe of God. Take your place in being the awe of God. If I recall, the pinnacle of his creation wasn't the water's or the earth or the galaxy, the way the planets move. It wasn't the separation of land. It wasn't the, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. The pinnacle of his awe 
It's you. It's you and me. See, when we lose the awe of God, we lose His awe for us. We misplace His passion for us. The Bible says, where can you go from His presence? He never looks away from you. He never stops thinking of you. He never stops working for you on your behalf. The scriptures say that Jesus intercedes for us constantly. That when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf. See, it's not that Jesus isn't involved. It's that we've lost our awe of him. And the way to retain the awe of God is to take your place as being the awe of God. So when Hein writes this, there's really two ways to, to embrace the awe of God. and Often we begin with creation. Right? We begin with creation and what we see and captured by the world around us. But you know, there's no one single way into the awe of God. It can certainly be in His creation and looking around. It can simply be, just do this for me. Right? Just hold up your hand in front of you. I haven't done this for, for a long time. I remember sitting one time, just... Hold your hand. Now, now, without thinking about it, without telling yourself, I just want you to wiggle all your fingers. Now tell them to stop. Stop. They, that's funny. I told them to stop, but they still wiggle. I can tell them to wiggle and they can stop and be still. Somehow I have control over this, this physical creation without actually programming it to tell it what to do. I didn't create this hand. I didn't form it in a factory. I didn't form it in a lab. It came straight from the imagination of God, straight from eternity into the present that you see. And this is just, this is just your hand. I don't even, I don't want to gross you guys out. I don't want to open everything up. I don't know how this works. I can't create it. Look at what God created. This is with the eyes. But Hine ends, as where most of us do, he ends with the eyes of the soul. He ends with the eyes of the soul. And he talks about, right, when Christ shall come. And he talks about the gospel. He talks, listen, if it's not good, God's not done. The day is coming that's all going to be done. And it's all going to be good. And this is super exciting. Right? And it's all because of his third stance, because of who Jesus is. This works both ways. The awe of God, when you see it in nature, when you see it in your creation, please let it lead you right, right to the name of Jesus. And when you hear the name of Jesus, may that awe flow right into your fingertips. Because it's overflowing, it's all powerful, and it's all encompassing. One leads to the other because it's all one entire amazing gift, an amazing mystery, an amazing miracle. I want to read this to you, and I'll close with this. Psalm 8. It is said that 
Boberg got this psalm from Psalm 8. He says this. 8 verse 1. O Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because your foes because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him, given him dominion over the works of your hands and you've put all things under his feet, all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of, paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I want to close with this worship song, but before I do, I want to tell you why I am so blessed that I selected this song. Boberg has no idea how his moment of worship, how far it reached, how God's used it, continues to this day, to this morning. You and I have no idea how far our lives of worship will reach for him. The songs we say today, the things we write, the things we share, as we worship every single day in our lives of Christ, it's being passed on to everyone we meet, every good encouraging word we share. It's not for us to know the days and the times and the limits. It's our task to know the God who is good and to worship Him.